Welcome to the If I Had More Time podcast at Mariner's Church. This podcast series invites you into a casual conversation with our senior pastor, Eric Geiger, and our teaching team to hear a few helpful insights and truths they wish they had time to include in the weekend message. Be sure that you have listened to this weekend's message prior to listening to the podcast so you get the most out of our current series. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the If I Had More Time podcast. We're in week two of Fighting for Joy, and I have Kenton B. Shore here with us, KB, and Eric Geiger, of course. Eric uh, is is going to be actually kind of a co-host with me because Kenton gave our sermon for this weekend here at Irvine. Um, we hope each of you at all of our congregations enjoyed hearing from your lead pastors there as well. Um, but Kenton just delivered a beautiful message for our online service. That's the Philippians 1, 12 through 20 passage. Um, Kenton, can you take a minute and give us a quick overview of, of your sermon? And then even maybe if you had had more time, what would you have hit? You know, one thing that I would have loved to have more time is I would have spent time affirming Eric because I think this series, the idea of fighting for joy with all of what's going on in his life, and he talked about that beautifully uh, a couple weeks ago, it would be so easy, I think, sitting in his place to go, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick a different series because choosing and fighting for joy in, in, in hard moments, that's hard to do. It's hard enough to teach it, but it's hard to do in life. And so I'm super impressed that you stayed with the series. I think that what we're going to learn out of it is powerful, but I think even what comes through your life as you talk about these principles, because Paul brings them up. He's in a tough situation. You're in a tough situation. You know, that's where joy is found. So that's not my story to tell, but it would have been fun if I had time. I would have just gone off and said, wow, don't you love Eric and how he's leading us through a series in Philippians? Yeah. Uh, really talking about joy. And then in this passage, the thing that I'm hoping that, uh, that I really hope that people got is this idea that what Paul has found in a really dark place, so he's in jail, chained to guards, looking at bars, looking at a barren wall, and he's, he's had this great promise that when he was called on the road to Damascus, God said, he goes, I'm going to use you to reach Gentiles, which weren't even a part of the kingdom yet, and to reach Israelites, but then also to reach kings. And here's Paul in jail going, Really? It's like, you, you're going to make my life be really valuable. And I'm sitting in jail and it'd be easy to get discouraged, overwhelmed, and just really sad. But the reason that that's the birthplace of joy is because what he understood is what I think is the most important thing for us all to understand is that being a witness, the idea in Acts, you know, all of us are called to say, you're going to be my witnesses and I'm going to give you supernatural power to go in and a witness we just tell what we get to see, what we got to see in God's grace and what we've experienced in God's grace. We don't have to be responsible for the effects and people's responses, but we have to, we have this opportunity. And it's what Paul is so clear on, and I think it's why this is sort of a birthplace for joy, is that this life is the only life where we get to share the good news with people who are lost. I mean, in heaven, yeah, we get to celebrate God's good and his love and his kindness. We get to worship God, but you never get to share your story with a lost person and get to impact somebody, get to impact their life with the good news of God's love and grace. 
And really, that's what motivates Paul is that he's going, even in this dark place, the one thing that's happening is my life is impacting. God's doing it in ways that I can't even see, which has a lot to do with faith. But he's saying, I'm going to believe that God's going to use my life in ways that I can't even see now, maybe in ways that I don't understand. But that's what I'm called to do. And I think if I could get people to understand, my hope is that in this message that they would understand this is such a rare opportunity. It's not an obligation. It's I just I just tell you about what God did in my life. This is what God did. This is how I see his grace. This is how it changed my life. I just share my story. That's what I get to do. It is life's greatest privilege. And it's what defines our lives. It's what defines my life. The story of God's grace in my life is the defining story. So I'm not a loving husband. I'm not a loving parent. I'm not a loving grandparent. I'm not enchanting and wise and fun. I'm not anything. <laughs> I'm not anything without the story of God's grace. And in it, then all I get, you know, my whole life has to be, it doesn't matter what's going on. And the reality of what Paul's saying here is the truth is in life's most painful moments, in the most dangerous moments, in the most hard moments, is when everyone looks and says, now what do you really believe? Do you, is it really true? Because if it's true now, I'll believe it. Everyone says it when good times. Yeah. You know, God's good when everything's good, right. and it doesn't matter. And who, I don't care. But when things are bad, and this is what it is with Paul, it's bad, and it's bad on bad on bad. Yeah. And he's saying, and... As a result, in this passage, we get to see how how God used his life in a really bad time to impact some of the most powerful people in Rome in his day, because he believed it, and they believed it. Man, that pro that's profound when you think about our everlasting life. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that we will do in everlasting life that we do now. We'll right. enjoy his presence. We'll know him. We'll right. worship. We'll be in community with other other believers. Tell great stories of God's saving us in yeah. the last moments. We'll, but what we won't do right. is share the good news with people who don't know him. We, what, we, what we won't do is be a witness. Right. So we really have this one brief vapor of a life. Right. That's all we have. This is the one time in all of eternity, this brief, you know, James writes and calls it a vapor. Right. This okay. vapor of a life to to witness and... Paul finds joy in that. Right. And and I and I do love what you say. When things are going good, if you say, Man, God is good, yeah. people are like, Oh, well, of course he's good. I, I remember when Rihanna recently <laughs> found out that she's like a billionaire. She's one of the <laughs> she's one of the only uh artists who's a billionaire. And she retweeted an article about her being a billionaire. And, you know, yeah. Six, props to Rihanna for be, for for being such a successful artist, but uh her response was, God is good. Yeah. Well, you know, everyone's like, "Well, of course, God is good." You know, you just be, you just it's became a billionaire, yeah. But, but, but when you say God is good and you're in a wallless prison like Paul, yeah, right. And he says, and so the, what I love in this is he goes, "Everything has happened to me here has helped me spread the good news." So there's there's his purpose. You know, I'm that's what I want to do. I just want to spread the good news. And every I'm looking at walls. I'm living in chains. I'm chained to a guard. There's nothing good in the moment, but he's going, no, everything, which is the eyes of faith. So that's when I can't see it, but he's choosing to believe it. And he's saying what God said he will do somehow he's going to do. And that would help you fight for joy and find purpose in all things. 
when you were realizing some kind of way I'm going to use the pain of this right. to do the, the one thing I won't be able to ever do again, right. which is be a witness. And he does. And so he says in the whole Platorian Guard, which is, you know, this elite group of like 3,000 soldiers, but they're in the, the household of Caesar. And by the end of the book, he says, and I send you greetings even from the household of Caesar. So he's, these guards are chained to him, but he realizes, you know, they're, you know I, you're a captive audience. So then he's talking to them about his life. He's singing, he's praying, and they're, but they're still in a jail chained yeah. and they're going, this is real with this guy. This is real, which is, I mean, that's the whole point of it is in the, in the difficult, challenging moments is where it gets real. And we get to see that. You get to see it. Um, there's over the 40 years as a pastor, you you go to a hospital room and, you know, and there's a person who's, there's nothing more a doctor can do. And basically they're going to say it the way that they've lived it. And there's some people who are lost and there's despair and there is no greater sadness. And then there are people who in that same moment are saying, you know what, but God's good and I love him. He's taking care of me. And it's startling to everyone. And it's all over the community. It's happening to Bruce right now. So uh, Bruce uh, Nelson used to be a men's pastor here and then he transitioned back into business. But he has cancer and, you know, he's saying it the way he's lived it all of his life. And it looks today without a miracle from God, it just looks hopeless. But his faith, what he's trusting in, what he's holding on to, it's absolutely beautiful. And, and, and to use your word, startling. It is. To people who are like, wow, then is this possibly true that someone can have such hope in the middle of such pain? And for him... He wants to be a witness. And so he's saying, however, he doesn't even get a sense of how, I hear his story all the time. His witness is going out. He doesn't know how it's rippling out. He's laying in a, in a hospital bed. But his story's going out because God's using it. Because when we choose to be a witness, it's like God will do it. And so Paul's going, God is good. And, you know, we know he's he's told a story between, in front of, uh, uh, King Agrippa in front of Felix in front of Fest. I mean, all these leaders. I mean, he's literally stood in front of leaders he could never got in front of, and now he's in front of the Platorian guard, and it's like, wow, yeah. as well. And then the next part of it, which is so powerful, is really this. This I love that you let me teach this passage because this these verses in uh, fifteen through eighteen. I, I kind of regret that I let you teach it. A... <laughs> I don't have it so much fun now. <laughs> no, because I can remember in college, you know, and I bet you there's a passage or two or three that you remember the first time you read it and it, it changed you. Yeah. And this these verses 18, 15 through 18, it absolutely changed me because I can remember reading them as a college kid. And up until this point, and it, it just was a dividing point in my life. Up until that point in my life, everything was about competition. And competing. So I was constantly comparing. I grew up in a family that it was always, there was always comparing and competing. I lived in a world of Ur-Est, you know, are you, you're better than, you're the best in, and you know, and and that's just, uh, it's crippling because when you affirm somebody and it's like, oh, you're better than, well, right away, it's like, well, how good is that person? Right. It's not as good as saying, I love that you do this really well, but it's a comparative. Comparative is the worst way to make a statement. And so- I remember reading this and being staggered at what Paul said because I thought there's no way he really could mean this. There's no way. I go, there's no way somebody can live like this. 
because you know, in a competing world and comparing world is when somebody gets you, you get them back, you know, or if somebody's intending to hurt you, I mean, okay, I can forgive you, but I don't have to like you and I never have to accept it. And there's no way I can make it good. But he says, you know, it's true. There's these people preaching out of jealousy and bitterness. And he, go, and he talks about this and he goes, he goes and, and they, and literally says, and they're trying to make my chains more painful. There are, some are preaching for good reasons. Some are just literally doing it to make my life painful. And he says, but either way, I'm just glad God's being, you know, proclaimed. Christ, it is, proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed. And I rejoice. That's right. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes. And I will continue to rejoice. And there was a thing that happened in my life that was so powerful because it, and it didn't change like it wasn't black, white change, but it was a directional change. And so as I've lived, it becomes this giant chasm today where in college it was just the beginning. The trajectory changed. That's it. And the trajectory is I am not going to compete and compare. And especially when it comes to ministry and gospel, I am never going to do that. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Man. Yeah. I, I would. I think it would be so beautiful for us to just take a second to tap into that specifically in the relationship with you two. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm as jealous as any <laughs> fair. He is so. It's so. I am so bitter about how good he is. He's told me the same about I know, you. I know. That's right. It's nothing but competition between. That's well, I. I just think I. I know that that happened because you're in your encounter with God when you were in college over this passage, because I have seen you live it out in this relationship with Eric. So it's a testimony. Um, yeah, but, we're able to see the full trajectory of, yeah. of what God did in your heart back in college, oh because of how you did secession, how you handled secession is different than how some leaders right. handle secession. Because, see, I don't want Eric to be as good as me. I actually want him to be better because I want... What's best for the church. That's right. I want the gospel to go forward. And it can't just be, oh, God, we went this far. It's emotional. To this far. And then it's like, oh, that's as far. It's like, no, the whole point is for the gospel to go forward. And so it's like, I see how you do it. I go, ah, I love how you do it. But even in that, I don't ever compare myself with you. Yeah. Because comparing is saying, well, God made me to be you. And he didn't make me to be you. I mean, I have my story and I love my story. And I celebrate my story and what God made me, but I can celebrate your story and not mix my story up with it and go, but look at what God made you to be and to do the things that you've done. And so there is such freedom because when you're comparing, it's always, there's always somebody better there, you know, better and then best, no matter what it is, you know, as a kid, we, we do it. But as adults, it's just death. Yeah. So I would never want to be in a place in my, because it's, it doesn't matter what you do. It's what's inside of me. But if I'm looking and what God has given to me isn't enough for me, yeah. and then I'm going to need something from somebody else to try to take something from what you have, yeah. it would be terrible. Yeah. Eric, what about you as the, as the successor? Yeah. Like, how are you fighting the temptation with the competition comparison? Cause I've seen it in you too. Like, yeah how much you seek counsel and wisdom from your predecessor, also not normal. So right. totally new. I have told people when they've asked, I have felt that Kenton has loved me from the first day and that he's always wanted what's best for the church. And so his humility was super attractive 
to me and then uh, allowed me or helped me to be really trusting of Kenton and transparent with him from, from the beginning, both on things that I'm wrestling with and struggles that I have. And what we've said, the reason that that our relationship has worked, and we're coming up on five years now. So this is five years. And it's, um, we, we would say, both of us would say we're not perfect, but I think we would say we're both healthy. So Kenton's healthy in that he finds his identity in Jesus. Yeah. The Apostle Paul clearly found his identity in Jesus. Yeah. I believe I'm healthy. I'm not perfect. I find my worth and my identity ultimately in Jesus. Obviously, I have to fight about finding my identity in other places, but the trajectory of my life is I'm finding my identity in Jesus. Yeah. And so we both are healthy and we both really do care most about the church and about the gospel going forward. We do, and we have at our hearts exactly what Paul has and what we all should have, which is I rejoice because Christ is being preached. Either way. So it's if that's if that's the end result, I can rejoice in that. And it doesn't matter where I stand or how much it, the applause I get, the applause somebody else gets, that's not the point. But for Paul to be able to do it to people, so, you know, you've never wanted evil for me. No. I've never wanted evil. But Paul's doing it for people who literally, he goes, want evil. yeah, they want evil. You go. Yeah, it's another level. That is another level. So it is so powerful. And you know who really was a great example for that is Stott. John Stott was, he was such a great example of somebody who constantly was affirming Jesus being preached and wherever it was, he would celebrate it. And it marked my life for that too. Yeah. Yeah. So lifting up the desire for the gospel to go forth That's it. will lower the wrestle that you have for comparison in your life. That's right. Because more important to you than being the best or better That's right. is that the gospel is going forward. And so the gospel going forward being Kenton's heart, being my heart, that is what has caused us to have, you know, five years of not comparing and competing. Now, people in the church will try to compare us. <laughs> and people in the church will try to compete us. And yeah. if you're one of those people listening, you need to make the gospel the most, <laughs> right. the most important thing because that's not what, what KB and I are trying to do. Yeah. No, but they don't. We live in a broken world and broken world people are constantly saying, Oh, I love how you, you're as good as, or yeah. that, you know, you're better than, or, and they, they use comparative language. And what I, what I started to do, I mean, back in college is every time I reframe it in my mind and I take any comparative language and I just reframe it so that it's, well, I do that fine. Or you do that well, or I, anytime I take comparison out and I, with my kids. In terms of not, not using um, a comparative language when affirming somebody. Yeah, because that's what I that's what I right. do see. It feels like the default the default behavior when people compliment someone is to use comparisons when complimenting. Right, and it's defective. Try to not try to when you compliment it's, someone not to compare. Right. In other words, don't. It's from hell. Let's just call it. It's it's then it's words from hell because compa- yes. because what it does is it hooks people in to a dark side. That's right. Because instead of you know going, I I do love how you speak. I love. I left out your whimsical and you are brilliant. Okay. That's beautiful. But if I would say you're as brilliant as, or, or, and immediately then, then, yeah. then you go, well, how brilliant is that person? Exactly. And it goes in, is that, and so now it, you're bringing someone in that has nothing to do with it. If you, know, you are insightful, you are creative. I love that. That's great for you. 
So it stands so much more powerfully on its own. So I'm constantly yeah. framing. So I'll hear somebody do an affirmation and I'll just reframe it again without the comparison. Without the comparison. Yeah. It's funny, that's a great tool. And, and I, I do that as a dad with my, with my kids. So we're gonna go on vacation together this summer and there's a temptation to compare this vacation to another vacation. Mm. This is my, this is a better vacation than last year because yeah. this, and I always try to say, oh, no, 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 no. let's not do that. Let's yeah. let each vacation yeah. be awesome in and of itself. What do we love about this one? What yes. do we love about that one? And you go, I love that, you know, because it's. But not comparing them because then you, you also get in the rat race of always trying to do something better than before, mm. as opposed to letting each one be a special gift from God. But in the book of joy, it's a joy destroyer. I mean, it, it just, it, it sucks joy right yeah. out of a person's soul because as soon as you have, you know, you're better than, but not as good as, or it, however it is. And in Christian ministry, you watch, I've seen people who have beautiful churches. God's doing great things, but they go, well, it's not as big as, and you're like, because right. Jesus wants it that big. Or, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, where, where is Jesus coming to the equation? But the sad part is they're, the, it, all of the joy of Jesus changing people's lives and people coming to Jesus and eternities being changed is stolen because somebody's just looking at something else. And it's like, but they're them. And, you know, Jesus is doing what he wants to there. He's doing what he wants to in your life, but it steals it. And I'm sure in businesses, you know, somebody going, well, but my business right. isn't that or my marriage isn't, you know, yeah. yours <laughs> is yours. And so you move forward. So comparison steals joy. Steals it. And we have a temptation to compare even when we compliment. So we have to we have to constantly pull away, repent from mm -hmm. comparing. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, I think that there will be a lot of people when the, the title of the sermon is Joy and Challenges. Mm -hmm. And I think there will be a few people that will be surprised to hear the sermon on purpose yeah. coming from Joy and Challenges. I love it. I love the surprise. Yeah. Um, if if they were sitting at the table right now with us, how how would you guys encourage a person who's struggling to find the purpose in their challenge? Like how to, how to you, we use that word reframe, you know, yeah. like how might we practically shepherd a person through that? Look at Paul's story. Paul's story is God says when he calls him to Damascus, I'm going to use you, which is what he does to everyone. And I'm going to use you to be a witness. Well, right away, we create expectations. Well, that must mean. And so I got all sorts of expectations of it's going to mean these things. You have no idea what it means. But if I believe that God's in control and he's taking me where he wants to take me, then it doesn't matter. It's like if I'm looking at a jail cell and I'm looking at chains and I'm looking at what appears to be a dead end, faith is always the ability or hope is saying, well, hope is seeing what you can't see. You know, it's it's believing a promise of God saying, God made this promise and I'm going to believe it whether I can see it or not. And in that I can have joy. But if your joy is going to be based on what you can see, you know, because what I can see is brokenness and pain and sadness and hurt. I can see pain. That's all I'm going to look at. But right. faith is I got to look at what I don't see. And so I'm saying God's good and he's going to use my witness. I get the opportunity to be a witness and so I'm not going to just look at the wall, the chains, and the guard. I'm going to look at this promise of he'll use me. Yeah. Even in this. And in the darkest times, that's when it shines the brightest. That's huge. I, I just had that experience with my mom. And 
when we, the day that my father was diagnosed with ALS, she said, I'm just praying that God will use this as a, as a platform for friends and neighbors to know the gospel. And when my mom says that in such moments of pain, right. to your point, it's when it makes it more powerful. And that's the birthplace of joy. Yeah. Because that, see, who, you can't be happy in that, but you can be joy-filled. God's doing something good. Yeah. And the, the purpose of no matter what happens, that Christ is preached, I rejoice. That's the biggest purpose. That's right. Because that's the eternal purpose. That's right. Everything good comes out of that. Amen. I'm so grateful for the story of both of your lives that you. that embody this passage. Thank you guys so much for joining us on the If I Had More Time podcast. Thanks for joining us today on the If I Had More Time podcast hosted by Mariners Church. We hope to see you next weekend at any of our congregations across Southern California or online. To view our service times at each congregation, be sure to check out our website at marinerschurch.org.